Hi, and welcome to another episode of DevOps Unbound. We've got great panelists, as we always do, and frankly, great friends. These are some great colleagues that uh, we've all known each other either for five minutes or for five years, but we become friends very quickly because we share experiences and knowledge and things like that. So before I get to our topic, my name is Mitch Ashley. I'm CTO with TechStrong Group, who puts on uh, these video shows and with our production team. And our production team is actually both combination of TechStrong Group and our sponsor, Tricentis. We say we have great thanks and we really love the collaboration that we have with our team and our partners at Tricentis your company to work with, and we appreciate one of our panelists here today is also from uh, Tricentis. So with that, our topic is about hyperscaling DevOps, and we're going to get into what that means and kind of maybe where we're going next and, and how do we do that based on what we've learned. So let me first start with um, Parag. Would you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about Tricentis. I didn't say much about what you do other than working with us. And uh, of course, tell us about yourself too. Sure, Mitch. Hey, uh, thank you guys. Happy to be here again. Happy to speak to everyone. Um, my background, I am the VP of engineering at Tricentis, an absolutely outstanding company that tries to make DevOps real so that you are uh, you have the assurance you need when you deploy your applications at the speed of your imagination. So I run engineering. Uh, we provide software testing products here at Tricentis. And uh, I've been both a developer, tester, a builder, actually building large-scale complex systems and uh, organizations of hundreds of people to actually do that, whether software products or digital transformation for, uh, for large companies as well as small ones. Fantastic. Living the dream, it sounds like, Barack, yeah. <laughs> so to say. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Tracy, a uh, good friend, and uh, I don't know if... It, if it's okay to call you, you're regular, but you're pretty close if you're not already. Good to have you on the show again today. Introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about Deployhug. Thank you. Um, I am the CEO and co-founder of Deployhub. Uh, we kind of fit into this uh, topic quite well uh, in terms of kind of hyperscaling the DevOps process. Deployhub uh, governs the supply chain of your software in particular around microservices so that you can deliver secure, high quality microservices at scale. And that is really the discussion for today is how do we do this stuff at scale? Fantastic. And last but not least is Larry. Larry, please introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you and a little bit of your background, your company as well. Yeah, sure. The, the, the most relevant experience for this conversation is that I led the DevSecOps transformation program at Comcast, 600 development teams over the course of five years. We essentially replaced the traditional AppSec program with this developer-first approach. And we hit a wall at some point where we couldn't do DevSecOps without doing DevOps. And so we actually had to morph after about 100 teams to being a DevOps transformation program so we could build on that. Um, so I have a lot of experience essentially doing that. I'm now at Contrast Security, basically doing the same thing except helping clients of Contrast Security ad adopt DevOps and DevSecOps. Fantastic. And I was part of that industry and observed that transformation. It's pretty phenomenal to observe and what was accomplished at, Com at Comcast. Uh, so our topic is hyperscaling DevOps and part of our kind of prep for our panel we were talking about is, is hyperscaling about like taking it to the next level or is there some kind of future state of 
DevOps or is it scaling it more horizontally? And, and I know from my own experience, whether it's creating a product or running organizations, doing something on a team or two is fantastic because you can really focus and kind of get things going, figure out, figure out how to do it and get it working. Doing that across a large organization or a large number of teams, getting the that adoption, it's not just buy-in, but adoption, really using it where you're really running kind of on all cylinders, as they say, is no small feat. That's a huge task and a great admiration for folks that are able to do that. Is hyperscaling DevOps one, the other, both, or is something else that I'm not describing? Maybe, Larry, if you would uh, kind of start a conversation here. Yeah, sure. So I, I tend to think when I think of at scale, I think of across uh, an entire organization. So 600 development teams in the case, 10,000 developers in the case of Comcast. Um, the, 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 the trouble there is that not every development team, in fact, no two development teams are the same. And they, and they all start with a different level of maturity. I, 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 but my last few months at Comcast, I was working with a team that I asked them, well, where's the code? Where's the source code repository? Where, you know, can I take a look? And they're like, oh, well, that's not up to date. I'm like, what do you mean that's not up to date? Um, well, we only put it in there when we have to. <laughs> well, how do you sh- work together as a five-person team? Oh, we have a shared drive. <laughs> so um, I was working with teams like that. In the last month I was there, you know, that's 30 years after source code repositories were popular, to teams that were on the leading edge of, of, of trunk-based development and uh, feature toggles and traffic shaping, uh, high-end sort of like the, the the cream of the crop kind of DevOps practices. Interesting, jump in team. Um, so so I'll jump in here. First, I'll, I'll sort of uh, speak to what Larry mentioned because I, I see that and, and I'll tell you um, from a background of working in very large $100 billion types of enterprises to smaller companies, startups, scale-ups, right? I think what he, what Larry said is absolutely true. Um, I've seen companies that say, okay, pound their fists and say, all the source code needs to be here and then consolidate. Okay, is it, is it uh, um, you know, back in the days of ClearCase or is it back, uh, GitHub, get this, get lab, whatever, right? And, and every team is doing things differently. Um, I think there's a maturity of that governance that the corporation needs to follow. So to me, it's not like hyperscaling DevOps is like the destination. Let's get all 10,000 development teams for a $100 billion company to do the same thing the same way. Um, That's very, very hard to do, uh, especially if you're trying to grow your company from a startup to a scale-up to a large public company. Um, you, You have to go with the journey where your organization can mature along the way. Um, so I've, I've had to even take back some of my, I'll call bigoted thoughts, like everybody should be able to see all the source code. It should be in the same place. We should have inventories that things can be renewed automatically and, and so forth. I'd know when things would expire. When do we need to patch things? When's my third party licensing uh, going to expire? Um, it's not practical to expect that all on day one. So I'd say that organizational change, um, having the ability to grow with your company and expect a level of maturity along the way. Um, I came at it uh, sort of opposite from Larry. 
uh, more of a DevOps first mindset, and we'd have pockets of excellence, pockets of teams that we'd say, okay, we allow them to deploy every week, every day, while other teams, they can't deploy but a couple times a year, right? And, and things in between. Um, and so how do you enable all of these different teams with all these different maturities along with their company's maturity that requires, uh, uh, you know, perhaps in our case, we had to do DevOps first. And then we said, okay, wait, now we're scanning our containers and now I need to do DevSecOps and I need to have dynamic scans, not just static scans. So you just mature along the way and try to accommodate as many teams as you can. Um, that's, that's what I've seen in our transformations. Yeah, so I, I, I exactly the way I think it's 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 take every team wherever they are now and get them on the path to improvement in this gradual improvement ramp and coach them along that along that path with self service tools. So you have to do a lot of tool smithing to make it easy. And I think Tracy's going to want to chime in here with this because you know having a, a a nice sort of offering of templates and and sort of canned capability that makes it easy for them to adopt a practice. So toolsmithing is key. And then coaching is the other thing that's key. You know, you're not an auditor, you're not a gatekeeper, you need a person that's there to help them. They assuming they want to do their best and to get that help them get the best to get best out of it. Tracy, I'm I'm curious about your your toolsmithing. You've been called Tracy, you you have to respond. I know. So there's a lot to unpack in that question. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. But I think we, we should see it as, let's just think about it as an XY graph. Um, on the X line, um, we have compliance. Uh, I don't really like to think of this in terms of tools, even though tools are an important part of it. But if we think about the X line as compliance, what are we trying to achieve in our, um, in our DevOps process? Because if you, if you identify it in terms of tools, every team may need some other kind of tool. So then it makes it more difficult to create this graph. So the X line is the, is the compliance level. Uh, the Y line is the adoption. Uh, so we need to, if we're gonna really do, if we're gonna hyperscale our DevOps processes, we need to really have a complete X line where we have every compliance level that we want. And in terms of the adoption, we want it to be a pretty flat line across the top. We don't want it to be peaks and valleys, meaning some teams may be doing a really great job of uh, security uh, and other teams may not be doing any of it. And other teams might be doing a great job of automating their releases uh, and other teams may not be doing a good job. So we need to be able to see our compliance levels and understand them and communicate them and then begin tracking that, that Y line to understand the, the uh, level of adoption and compliance across the teams. Now that's just from uh, an enterprise perspective and building out kind of what I like to call a compliance scorecard and they're beginning to track who's adopting um, th- those compliance levels. Uh, and as we, uh, and there's such a lot, there's so much to talk about in terms of hyperscaling DevOps in particular in microservices, but if we just think about monolithic, there is uh, ideas about uh, or suggestions about templating uh, and being able to quickly stand up a team that has all of the uh, tools that they want to choose and, uh, and use that's appropriate for them that meets that compliance level. The better we can get at doing that, the faster we will scale. Interesting. It's, it's a very kind of 
nice way to organize, compartmentalize, like what are you trying to accomplish it? How do you measure it? And then on top of that, I think something you said, Larry, is you do have to meet people where they are, right? Not everyone is skilled in the same ways or operates the same way. They need some level, some level of flexibility and autonomy, not rigid compliance from that perspective. And, and they're going to respect and adopt it more easily, I think, if you're if you're adopting of them. Yeah, how, you, how can you how can you flatten that y axis? That is the that's the trick. Mitch, do you mind if I share a diagram that's sort of it's not the exact same thing that Tracy has because it's circular instead of X and Y, but it's got a lot of what I think she's talking about. Go so, for it. Yeah, I'm curious to see what you're talking about. So so this was the the way we visualized maturity of different business units inside of Comcast. And we could render the graph for all 600 teams, but it you couldn't drill down to individual teams with this. But this is a a business unit that had 10 different development teams. And, and so um, we have this maturity concept of, of this darker shade of green is you've adopted it to the level of culture, meaning there's, there's, you're getting full value out of it and you're doing it for every opportunity that you could be doing it for. And, and so these are the lists of practices around the outside here. That's your compliance dimension. Compliance levels dimension, and this is only eleven of the forty practices in the overall framework. But they were the key eleven that we were focused on this year. We call them the essential eleven for that year. And we could meet with an individual business unit leader and say, "Okay, well, you're doing great on secrets management, but you guys aren't doing so hot on uh, threat modeling. Uh, you're doing okay on threat modeling, but you're you're doing worse on these sort of adoption of scanning tools in your pipeline. Um, and, and you have you you've barely gotten started on this um, uh, team uh, peer review uh, concept here for your teams. So security team peer, peer review. Um, so this is the way you look at it you know, moment in time. And if you click on each one of these, you can drill down to the individual team. And then this is the trend over time. So you can see the teams maturing over time in there. And we gamified the whole thing. So the whole thing had a scorecard that each business unit would get a reward if the, if they had the most improvement in the 90 days. We had we had silly games like, like one business unit leader challenged another business unit leader to improve the most. And the loser had to wear a, a, a bunny out, outfit, bunny costume uh, during Easter week um, or the week before Easter. So, you know, it, it really made it fun and made the whole thing essentially gradual and, and gamified with, with visualizations like what's what Tracy was describing. Okay, now Parag, we've had the XY, we've had the the circle graph. Yeah, your job is to put it into a pie chart for us. today. Or scatter a data scatter plot, whatever you, your choice. <laughs> I'm I curious your perspective. You're running an engineering team, yeah, obviously yeah. sizable one. One thing I'd say with what Larry and, and Tracy said is um that you know I sort of like uh, Tracy's sort of um, generic view, right? Um, and then Larry had a very good, um, I don't know if you want to call it a radar chart of <laughs> maturity, right? Um, and, and when I'm dealing with uh, triage situations, actually developing code that meets, you know, delights, not just meets our customer expectations, but delights our customers. And it's a SaaS. I've got to keep it running and I've got to keep it secure. I think I, I probably need like 10 different radar charts, right? So there's so many facets. There's security, uh, which is you peel that onion and we all know the defense in depth. And okay, it's not just 
access, it's data, it's, it's everything. There's security. How quickly do you respond to security? Uh, how do you uh, work with your customers? In our case, we're an ISV. So we also try to create a bridge between our CISOs sometimes and say, can we get some private channel communication access? Because we can never predict when things happen. Everybody might remember the whole um, uh, Log4j fund we had uh, last uh, end of last year, right? So, so we like to do that. But then now when I think beyond security, then also it's operations, you know, what's availability, uh, disaster recovery, how well are you able to do your tabletop exercises and, and things like that. And, and no matter how much we prepare and how much money we invest, it's always those outages that we never thought of, the unknown that still gets us. So I see so many different facets. Um, I didn't even talk about dev velocity. Right. But, 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 but at scale, Parag, I, I think what, what, what you have to do is you have to basically stop as a, as a leader of, of a big organization trying to sort of look at each of those things for an individual app or individual team, unless you're a one app company. You know, uh, and what you can do instead is you have to say package those things, those concepts up, for instance, monitoring. Absolutely. And you, as a practice that teams can adopt at various different levels, thoughts, words, actions, culture, and, and, and you define those levels and, and, and then they, you know, you encourage them to sort of each individually adopt them. So at scale, it's less about you being aware of all those metrics yourself and more about making sure the team themselves is aware of it and they're working towards getting better at responding or improving that metric. Absolutely agree, Larry, because there's no way you could say, okay, let's put up that radar chart and then say, that's how I'm measuring you. You actually want to ingrain that knowledge as people are actually doing their development. They're thinking security uh, while they're building so that we prevent having those kinds of issues. You know, scan left shift. We always talk about left shift with DevOps, right? Left shift uh, so that you can prevent uh, creation of critical CVEs before they even get out of the development phase, out of the developer's laptop, if that's where they're developing right there. So that what looks like you're going to have in production is actually running on your laptop. And, and so I think that's part of it. I think as a my vantage point, I, I have security folks that say, okay, Prague, get your engineers to do better and better with security and we provide the training. And then I have operations folks that ask, okay, we need to have better availability. We need to have early warning. We need to have alerts. Uh, and then I have development teams and QA teams that say, okay, we need to do regression tests, add this to the regression test. So there's so many different things that are coming together. And a lot of times what I have to do is I have to know the maturity of my teams and say, okay, what is the theme of this quarter that I'm going to really make an improvement? What's okay. the focus, deep practices this quarter, yeah. and get the whole org to sort of rally around that and improve that? And, and that it begins to be a part of the conversation that we seldom ever have, and that's taking a really good look at ourselves from how we got here, right. uh, and understand that when we first started doing DevOps, pipeline, lifecycle management, Upper management had some investment in it. They saw it as something that they had to that they that needed to be done. But to be quite honest, most of the tooling that uh, the developers brought in, how many people really did a POC around Jenkins? It was just brought in by developers, and they started pulling this stuff together. Mm -hmm. We have never really taken this as serious as we we should. And to be honest, the security puzzle 
we have failed as a, as a global community, we have really failed on understanding the importance of security. Even today, I walk into organizations and we, I look at build scripts that are still using um, star dot star. I hate that because <laughs> I know that that means it, that can suck anything up from the directory that it wants to and put it in a package. S-bombs, we've had those for quite some time. Do we use them? We might generate them, but do we do anything with them or look at them? Even CVEs, yeah, we might we might look at it once in a while. So we have to. Uh, no, have I to, think I think if you're if you're doing DevOps, you're not looking at it once in a while. You're not looking at it at all. You're essentially putting a tool. <laughs> no, no, you're putting a tool. I think in the that's platform. your point. That you're is my point. <laughs> We no, you shouldn't upper, be looking at it. My point yeah, is, is upper, you shouldn't be looking at it. You should put no, a check I, in the pipeline right. that automatically checks it for you. Yes, so, I understand that. Okay, okay. I, I understand that, Larry. My point was, is that we haven't had upper management really focus on this area, provide the proper funding and the staff to be able to automate all of these pieces. And we're still mm. doing a lot manually. We still have a lot of plug-in scripts that we're doing. Uh, we don't have the kind of tooling that you're talking about, Larry. Uh, you know, Deploy Hub is trying to solve that problem too, too, have a central place for all that DevOps intelligence so you can find it. But from our history, if we look at how we've done this in the past, it's been through a lot of one-off scripts. It's been a lot of duct tape and a lot of open source. So upper management has to start understanding that there needs to be substantial investment in the DevOps practice. With, to automate, to bring in better tooling, to bring in tools that can, can uh, do broader metrics so that we can solve this problem and go as fast as we need to. The, the way to hook upper management, you can, you can usually get them to agree to an experiment with 10 teams. And then you, the way to hook upper management to sort of scale every year, which is the way I did it at Comcast, from 10 teams the first six months to 50 teams the first, the first year and a half, et cetera, all the way to 600 teams is you gather the metrics of the results. And so we had one fourth the cost. We were doing security at one fourth the cost of the traditional AppSec program when you consider the number of developers we were serving. And we had six X fewer vulnerabilities in production, one sixth as many vulnerabilities in production for teams after they went through our program. You, you show those numbers to executives and they go, why, why, don't we why don't we get rid of our old AppSec program, which is eventually what Comcast decided. I think both of you are right, uh, Larry and Tracy. See, like what Larry, you're giving us is little cookbooks that say, hey, look, show this, get your executive buy-in. I think I said this on one of the DevOps Unbound. I think sponsorship is an extremely thing to understand. There's too many facets. We're talking, you know, we always say people process technology. We're talking about all three simultaneously. And if we say, look, I'm, I'm going to get you this many CVEs out. I'm going to left shift all these tools and all. There's some sheer inertia that we have in our industry that allows sponsorship to sustain it over a decade or at least even over one or two years. Every company I've been at, it's taking three to six months to just build out the technology platform. Forget the whole cultural shift and do they really want the transformation? You know, when I've worked for $100 billion companies uh, after some of the largest hacks they've ever been through, okay, they say, Prague, come in and let's go transform uh, this large company, okay? Um, the sponsorship can last maybe six months to a year, but usually things are underestimated just because it takes so long to put together, okay, I got Jenkins, Circle CI, Bamboo. I've got one of everything problem 
in the DevOps space. Mm -hmm. so starting with rationalizing. Then what does left shift even mean? <laughs> okay. And and uh and how much funding do I really need? Okay, to get on all these aspects because you're, you know, cloud and DevOps, it's all about that automation, right? One click, self-service, immediate gratification of all facets, security, operations, development velocity, of uh, defect leakage rate, uh, release on demand with confidence. That's where. <laughs> Where we try to uh, provide some value in the in the market, I'm just saying it's too big. And unless you have the sponsorship really wanting that transformation, then um, it's really hard to get buy-in. I think you get buy-in in stages. And yeah, I think the way you stage it though is not one tool at a time or one set yeah. of practices at a time. It's one small set of teams at a time. So there's always a few teams that are more ready than others to get started. And so if you start with those teams and you measure the results and 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 you make you you turn what they're doing into a pattern, a recipe that you can you can share with other teams, then the whole thing sort of snowballs and not, and not only that, Larry, you're absolutely right. You market it. It becomes your early win. Right. Small enough. And then you get instead of forcing people, which I've rarely seen work, people are like, I want to be like that team. They're able to release everything. Exactly. Developers yeah. want to be the cool kid, right? They want the one that, you they know, is there, he has the best tools and is using the best tech. And, and uh, yeah. So I'll, I'll just say be patient on that journey. Depending on the size of your enterprise, you have to be patient. And when you're small, I thought that could be more nimble as well. Well, then, you know, you don't have the resources you do when you're in a large enterprise, right? And the skills may not have kept up to date as much as when you're in large enterprise, you can pull resources from other departments. So um, there's an interesting dichotomy here, I think, which is kind of what got us here is sort of the uh, bottoms up. Tracy mentioned, you know, who, who approved Jenkins coming in? Nobody did. Somebody decided to do it and we adopted it. Right. And uh, somebody went to their manager and said, you need to buy this thing because we're already using it everywhere. Um, but on the other hand, kind of to the high, use the hyperscale term again, uh, you have to take a systemic look, look at the whole system and, and how do you help adoption, whether it's sponsorship, whether it's things that help with individual teams and adoption. Um, and you don't want to kind of kill, kill the goose, lay the golden egg, which is that innovation and you know entrepreneurial spirit or whatever that helps people bring new things in and try new ideas. But you also, you know, there's a there's a phrase that goes after every edict, which is this too shall pass, right? You know, <laughs> there'll be another edict that follows that. Those don't work very well either. But I'm curious, Tracy, you're you're tackling, you know, with the Play Hub a particularly meaty problem, which is, you know, the the, um, the little Pokemons we call we call um, you know containers and microservices and things like that can go everywhere and suddenly you don't know what you're doing and can't, can't manage it. That's kind of what the same problem we have with organizations and how we start to bring some structure and organization to it. Yeah, so if we think about um, the way we have managed these monolithic projects and um, what Prague and Larry said are completely right, when you are rolling out a DevOps process, start with a, core, a group of teams and then you can roll that process out across the organization over time. But we are in the middle of a shift, and that shift is pretty disruptive. And that shift makes us less of individual teams and more of a larger collaborative organization, mm. where if we are doing microservices and cloud native um, at scale, 
it means that we are going to decompose parts and we're going to be reusing parts. So not everybody has to write a login routine, for example. You might have a, a, a security group that writes the login routine and everybody uses it, which means that we start becoming um, more of a, a, a central group as opposed to siloed teams. Uh, so we have to start uh, understanding how we can better manage these uh, pipelines, how we can uh, work harder to be more collaborative and get, you know, the GitHub folks have been telling us to be more collaborative for years and years and years. They've said, open up your repository so everybody can see the code. Um, and yes, those bigoted ideas we might have to let go of, but there is some truth to it. There's absolutely some truth to it. And if we're going to do cloud native at scale, we have to think in a different way. I think what's happening at the CD Foundation around CD events and having an event process where you don't necessarily have to, you know, you could have that X access that have all the compliance levels and your CD process has a payload that's going to be um, initiated through an event listener, regardless of what tool that you have underneath the, uh, under, under the covers that your team decides to use because it's best for your platform. Um, and how do we start really understanding the whole supply chain uh, and how the, the supply chain is impacted? What's the risk level of a particular microservice? So in other words, um, as I often say, our door metrics might be getting a little long in the tooth and we might need to expand them in a, a decomposed, truly service-oriented, um, I should say microservice-oriented architecture because we are gonna, it's gonna change. You know, one microservice could cause the uh, five or six different application teams to need to retest before it goes out because it has a high risk value. Uh, so there's just different ways we need to start uh, understanding the pipeline and that under, and, and, and shifting and, and being disrupted is sometimes okay. Uh, and it should take us to a place where we can go faster uh, regardless of, uh, of what teams are actually implementing it. And if they do want to implement it, they have a listener that will, will solve that problem. And, you know, I'm betting on the catalogs, pulling that data into a central catalog. So, you know, this, this microservice is being deployed by Helm. This particular uh, Salesforce object is uh, just got a script behind it. Uh, these are the key value pairs. This is, these are the CVEs for this microservice. And how does that roll up to an application level? So we have a lot to think about in solving these problems. And uh, that's what we've been working on at, at the uh, open source project, Ortilius and the CD Foundation with their events. We're looking at how we have to disrupt that pipeline and make it where we can scale easily. Yeah, it's um, good to see people are collaborating outside the organization too, Tracy, to work on these problems. Because it is, it's bigger than any one organization is going to solve on their own. Yes, absolutely. It's a community discussion we have to have. And I really believe that this, the security discussion, this, the DevSecOps discussion is starting to trickle up all the way. I think upper management has heard it loud and clear. And I believe that will help uh, fund some of these uh, the, uh, better tooling um, improvement in how the pipeline actually functions, how much more secure the, the pipeline is, uh, how much, uh, how well does it run? If it's just got those one-off scripts, they break pretty easy. Uh, and that, that, that pipeline becomes a more critical factor. It's almost like upper management's finally realizing that they're making products and they have an assembly line. If that assembly line breaks down every day or, or is hard for every team to jump on and they all each want to make 
a full shoe all at the same time, like a cobbler, that they have a problem. I'm, I'm never, gonna... never let a good crisis go to waste, right? So <laughs> exactly. When you have, when you have something like log for shell or or uh, spring for shell, you know, hit, you know, that's a great time to have a conversation with executives about more funding. So, in fact, uh, to back that up, I think uh, I'm glad you made that connection because the dichotomy that we're talking about here is. Uh, all this new technology knowledge, building out a platform, shared services or a shared catalog, I call it service catalog. Um, pulling all that together is a centralization effect that we're saying, okay, we've got maybe 10 out of 100 teams that are really stellar in all the things Larry mentioned about. And let's, let's do some internal PR for that. So we're pushing, all three of us are pushing for that centralization so we can expand that greatness across an enterprise. But then I've also seen that if you centralize too fast, you can actually slow things down. Well, and not just too fast, but too much. I mean, like, like you know, every every team has a different con- context. They, they they're targeting maybe even a completely different market. They and and they certainly have different skilled people on their team. And so you have to sort of have something a catalog. I like you your use of the phrase catalog. You pull it together into a catalog and. It can't be a smorgasbord with a million different options because that's impossible to manage and you'll never scale that way. But there has to be at least some flexibility in there to, to accommodate the various levels of- Organization needs to publish. This is the reusable artifact. This is where you go to get stuff from other teams, right? So there's some notion of catalog, whether it's at the service level or even data catalogs and uh, product catalogs, right? So we have uh, this notion of centralizing and, and I think the second point I was saying, uh, follow up what Tracy said is, um, and you also, Larry, never let a crisis go to waste. I believe security is forcing us to mature, right? So whereas before we were trying to get the sponsorship and say, we should do this because it's the right thing to do, <laughs> okay? Now it's, you must do this and you can either catch it while the product is being built software product is being built or software service is being um, built, or you could catch it too late and use your customers as your testers to say, hey, I found that critical CVE. Um, uh, and so this is why I think the maturity that's, uh, that we're all driving because security wasn't put into DevOps terminology, now we forced it in there. It's forcing us all to mature and say, see those 10 teams out of 100? We all need to be like them because otherwise... This the, is chief, the, the chief software architect at Comcast we wanted a more central funded support, sponsored DevOps transformation program. He couldn't pull it off until, yeah. until we, we had enough of these security crises. And I was then starting to say, we can't do true shift left security, true DevSecOps until we have true DevOps. And we only have that for about a hundred of the 600 teams. We need a program to mature the remaining 500 up to that a level that, where they can do that. And so he, I, I went in with, to the president with him. I helped him over the weekend draft this this multi million dollar proposal, and then I helped. I met with the him with the president on on Monday, and we presented where he got the funding to actually do the DevOps transformation program. Which is key to your success is that upper management body. Absolutely. Couldn't, you couldn't have couldn't done it without it. And, and it. not every organization has gotten there. And I think the security question and the, and the security threats, the real security threats that we're facing 
is what's going to drive that discussion at the upper level and bring the Larrys in on a weekend uh, brainstorming to get the job done. Well, with that, I think we're going to let you have the last word, Tracy. It's been a, a fascinating conversation. And all three of you, I think there's just a, a fertile ground of great ideas and experiences here about scaling DevOps because it, you know, it's no easy challenge and uh, we're, you, we're living it. You know, all of you are living that process too. So I want to thank all three of our panelists, Brad, Tracy, and Larry. I um, also want to mention too, uh, speaking of interesting conversations, we have a coming up on May 24th, Tricentis is doing their virtual summit and we're actually hosting a a uh, DevOps Unbound segment that it will be part of the conference. And uh, we're talking about uh, creating positive digital experiences. So we can imagine how this fits into that kind of a conversation. So through testing, I hope you'll join the Tricentis team and join us as part of of that conversation there on May 24th. You can go to virtualsummit.tricentis.com. So nice to have a tie in there for, for, for you, Brian, with the Tricentis. Yeah, and I'll, I'll add one thing. Uh, every, yes. All three of us talked about, right? Uh, unless you have the confidence to move that quickly, um, I believe that none of our visions will, will come true, right? So that's that's where we come in and say, okay, let's give our users confidence. Agreed. Well, thank you, Prague. Uh, thank you very much, Tracy. Thank you, Larry, so much, all of you, for sharing your experiences. I want to do a shout out to my co-host, Alan Schimmel, who's not able to join us today. And also a big shout out to our production team, uh, Lanier and Jody, and, and the folks that do all of our video work. And we appreciate what you do as well, too. So thank you to you, our audience. We appreciate you spending this time with us. We look forward to next time we see you on DevOps Unbound. Take care. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you. Bye, everyone.